Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. One of the hardest realities come face-to-face with in all of life and leadership is that everyone, even the best of us, is a mixed vessel. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. We're in the middle of a series on the life and leadership of King David. If you've missed every episode up till now, they're all archived, and I hope you'll go back and get them. But each one is standalone, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. I want to deal with the very decidedly mixed vessel that was King David. Now, this is not just a Bible study, though there's nothing wrong with a Bible study. What this is about is trying to understand the life and leadership of King David and how can we make application to our lives? How can we learn something that will help us in our own lives and relationships and in our leadership, whatever that is in a church or ministry or a company? So I want to deal with with three decision points that David makes. Last week in the episode, we talked about some decisions that David made, good and not so good. I want to continue that idea this week, and I want to deal with three other decisions where we see the mixed nature of King David. David was a genius. He was was an undeniable genius in a, a multiplicity of genres that are seemingly mutually exclusive. He's a poet and a musician and a and a warrior, a man of blood and warfare and violence. He's a politician. He's a musician. All of these things mixed in this. David is one of these men, one of these people that almost in any generation in which he would have been born, David would have been a giant. But as is true of so many of the leadership giants, David was like the girl with the curl in the middle of her forehead. When he was good, he was very good. And when he was bad, he was horrid. So what I want to deal with today is understanding what makes good men make bad decisions, and when they make good decisions, why does that work? Why why do they make the decisions that really work and bless them and bless others? So I want to use three decisions. The first of these is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 5. When uh, David became the king of Israel, the united tribes of Israel, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead. David has been brought by the, all the tribes from Judah, from Hebron, where he's been the, the king of only of the tribe of Judah. And all the tribal chieftains bring him together, and he is anointed as the king of all the tribes of Israel. David then, as we dealt with last week, David makes the wise decision to build a new capital, an independent capital, Jerusalem, so that he's not at Gibeah, the old tribal capital of Benjamin, which was Saul's capital. He's not at Hebron, which was the tribal capital of his own tribe of Judah. He he builds a new and independent capital, and he's anointed there. He brings the Ark of the Covenant there, and it just looks like the nation is being so blessed. Listen to this. Every time you think that you finally got it all together, you got to remember that the next earthquake is just around the corner. I don't, I don't mean to frighten you or be cynical about life. It's just that when I was young, I had the idea that the goal in life was to get everything fixed, 
to get it all in place and kind of spray it all and then just watch over it. But the problem is everything changes. You just get everything exactly where you want it and somebody makes some stupid decision or the economy collapses or the wrong election happens or the, something, something happens. There's always, life is full of variables and there is always going to be something that wants to disrupt the moment of your greatest happiness and success. So just when David is right at the peak, he's the new king, the new capital, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, everything is there, is great. And the Philistines down in Gath hear that their arch nemesis, remember, of all the, of all the Jews, of all the Israelis, who they hate the most is David for a multiplicity of reasons. Remember, one is he killed their, their big guy. He killed Goliath and cut his head off in front of everybody. He, he killed thousands and thousands of Philistines in battle. He also worked for them for a while as a mercenary with his private army of 600 and then turned the tables on them and tricked them and, and left and went back to become the king of Israel. So they, they despised this guy. And when they find out that he is the king in Jerusalem, one of the first things they do while he's still king, while he's new, they're going to test him. They're coming at him. They mass their armies. They leave Gath and march toward Jerusalem. There's a valley, the Valley of Rephaim, that runs kind of uh, east and west as the Valley of Jezreel runs north and south down Israel. Rephaim runs kind of northwest to southwest, but east and west almost. And they march up that valley and camp there. A massive army. Their tents basically cover the valley floor. And the word comes to David that the Philistines have massed their army in the valley at Rephaim. What's the first thing that he does? Now listen to this. It says he consults with God. I just want to say this. The very, the very most important decision that you can make, the president of your company, the chief executive officer, the pastor of a church, or the, or the head of a youth group. Before you face any major decision, time that is spent seeking the mind and heart and will of God is never wasted. Pray first. Just take that moment. Pause. Don't let the tyranny of the urgent, don't let the, the desperation of the moment cause you to rush past the wisdom and guidance of God. God. God wants to guide you, just as your the enemy of your soul wants to disrupt you and steal your peace and take away your joy and attack you at the moment of your success. God is with you, and God wants to guide you and lead you and give you wisdom. The book of James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God, who is gracious and full of grace, will, he won't upbraid you. He's not going to say to you, oh, you stupid, stupid boy. He's, instead, he says he wants to give you that wisdom. So David, instead of panicking at the sight of this Philistine army, he stops and seeks the wisdom of God. What should I do? God says, go straight at them. Attack them. Go right now while they're camping, while they're fixing their, their campfires. Gather the Israeli army, as small as it is, and attack straight down the valley. Go straight at them, and they'll, they'll be completely unprepared attack them right now. And David takes his army and he attacks straight at them, straight up from the mouth of the valley and right up. And he just scatters them. He just beats them. They, it says they, 
They slaughtered the Philistines nearly all the way back to Gath. So the Philistines go back to Gath to lick their wounds. David goes back to Jerusalem, and he thinks the Philistines are defeated. Now, now listen to me on this. Just when you think everything is perfect, if you think the enemy of your soul is a gentleman, he's not going to say to himself, oh, well, she's happy now. She's got three kids, a wonderful husband. Let's leave her alone. No, that's when he's coming. He's coming after you. He's going to attack again and again and again. So the Philistine army, they wait, they get new troops, they train, they re-equip, they come back, and they go into the same valley. And what they say to themselves is, we know what David's going to do. We know his MO. He's going to come to the mouth of that valley and attack us. So we're going to be prepared, and we're going to face everything toward the mouth of that valley. What does David do? He takes time to pray. What should I do? And God gives him very specific and unique directions. He says, instead of attacking straight up, go around the Philistine army. There's a grove of mulberry trees at the other end of the valley. Go there, camp under those mulberry trees, and wait until you hear the sound of marching in the mulberry trees. So David takes his army. They sneak around the edges, making their way through, around to the end of the valley, and they get under those mulberry trees, and David waits. Waiting on God is never time wasted. You can make the right decision in the wrong way, as David did in bringing the Ark of the Covenant. You can also make the right decision at the wrong time, and you can make a terrible mistake. So David knew the will of God. He knew the plan of God, and he needed some kind of way of understanding what is the, what is the right plan? What is the right timing? And God said, when you hear the rustling, marching sound in the tops of the mulberry trees, then attack. David waited and waited and waited, and then he heard that sound in the mulberry trees. We, we don't really know what that sounded like. The Lord typified it, characterized it to David as the sound of marching. Somehow or another, we don't know if that's angels that were marching on David's behalf and supernatural. Was it the sound of the, the wind rustling those mulberry leaves so that it sounded like marching? We don't need to know that. What we know is that God was giving David not only the plan, but the timing. And David followed it every step of the way. He attacked the Philistines this time from the other direction, caught them completely off guard and routed them twice in the Valley of Rephaim, twice with totally different and very creative plans, both guided by the will and timing of God. Great decisions. How can a man who makes such good decisions so consistently then make such a disastrous decision? David sends his army off to battle and stays behind in Jerusalem. Maybe it's that moment where he says, I've done all the hard work. I fought all the bloody battles. I've run all the risks. I need the reward. I need to reap a little reward. And David stays behind. And you know what happened. One night he walks out on his balcony, and there in the moonlight on a rooftop is Bathsheba bathing. David sends to know who is that woman. And they say, that's the wife of one of your top and most loyal generals, Uriah the Hittite. Knowing that, David brings her to his house. He spends the night with her. He impregnates her and sends her home. She says to David, look, I'm pregnant. And David says, all right, we're going to listen, listen to the decision that he makes. He says, instead of owning up to this and try to resolve it somehow, 
We're going to palm this baby off on Uriah. So he sends for Uriah to come from the battlefield, thinking that while Uriah is back in Jerusalem, he'll go and spend the night with his wife. And then at least the, the calendar will work. But Uriah is a better man than David is. Uriah says, Your Majesty, I can't go and spend the night in a warm bed with my wife. My troops are sleeping in the battlefield. I can't do that. And so David sends Uriah back to Joab with a note that says, Get this man killed in battle. And Joab does it. What a, what a horrible, stupid, terrible, and sinful decision. David's good decisions he made for the good of others. He made with wisdom and under the direction and guidance and wisdom of God. David's worst decisions were made out of ego and flesh and the ignorance of all that God wanted for him, the best that he could do. David was a mixed vessel. We're all mixed vessels. But if we can incline our decision-making toward the good of others and toward the guidance and wisdom and righteousness of God, we can avoid the disaster that David made with Bathsheba. When David is confronted over the sin, I'm not going to go into that a lot, but Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David over the sin with Bathsheba. Now David, having made this disastrous decision for adultery, now makes one of the greatest and best decisions of his life. He could have had Nathan killed. He could have denied it. He could have covered it up. He could have, in front of everybody else, have gotten away with it. Instead, David admits it publicly. He repents. He writes about it in Psalm 51, and he owns the responsibility for that bad and wicked decision. So that good decision to repent, claim the grace of God, and admit it publicly and, and move on gives David the second half of his life. Good decisions. Good decisions come from making the right decision God's way and God's timing for the good of the most number of people and not for our own selves. Bad decisions come from motivations of the flesh, not seeking God's wisdom. When we make a bad decision, the decision to repent and own responsibility for that and let God's grace redeem us is the best decision we can make. I hope that this has been useful to you today. I also want to let you know this book is available for you, David the Great. I want you to have this book. It's been a tremendous seller, especially not exclusively by any means. Many, many, many women have read this book, and they love it, but especially with men who are not good at buying and reading Christian books, but they'll love David the Great. You can get this book at drmarkrutland.com and anything else on there. On that whole website, I've asked my staff to make it all 40%. Load your cart up, fill it up with everything you want, and then they'll mark, off, mark it down to 40% off immediately. This offer expires December the 15th. You can get all your Christmas shopping done at one place, and I know it'll be a blessing to people. And every purchase you make will be a blessing to our girls' homes. I don't know if you know this, but I want you to know it. I do not keep one penny from anything we sell on this website at all. It all goes 100% to the Foreign Missions Program at Global Servants, particularly our girls' homes, House of Grace in Thailand and Ghana. You can look House of Grace up at globalservants.org. You can sign up there to receive a free copy of our We Serve magazine. I want you to have that. Now, until we meet again, this is The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. 
You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.